Good morning. Welcome to First EC. Wait a minute. Good morning. Okay, there. <laughs> Welcome to First EC. I know somebody determined that this is National Back to Church Sunday, so I had put something out on Facebook as an invitation to anybody who hadn't been here in a while. Come on back. No questions asked. So if you're here at that invitation, glad you're here. We just want to love you. Same with Zoom. Maybe you, maybe you came back just through Zoom. So we say good morning to all of you, and we're glad you're with us. I um, just have three, three announcements, two that I want to just highlight in your bulletin. I want to remind you that today is the last day to sign up for the potluck dinner that's coming up that we're having for uh, our friends at Interfaith Manor and at Palm View. So bulletin board out, or, uh, there's a sign-up sheet out on the bulletin board. Today is the last day to sign up for that. Please do that. Um, one other thing, down in the bottom right-hand corner, you'll see an ad for uh, a front desk administration position. That's for our church center office down in Myerstown for the denomination. So if you're interested, you can check with me, but it does have the, the contact person in there. They're looking for somebody to help them out down there at the office. The third thing that I wanted to, to point out, and if we can bring up that, that slide, I wanted to just remind everybody that our Bible study is going to get started in two weeks, October 2nd. I know we've been telling you that, but I wanted to give you a little more detail. We're going to spend time talking about parables, talking about the stories that Jesus told. And every week I'll be there to talk to you, but every now and then I'm going to use the, the help of Daniel Fusco. He has a DVD, has a couple of, couple of uh, the parables on here. So every now and then we'll, we'll use a DVD as well. And, uh, but we'll, we'll start... In two weeks, October 2nd, 7 o'clock, we'll get together and we'll talk about the, the parables, the stories that Jesus told. Any other announcements that we need to make for the good of the family here? All right, well then I'll just ask us to just kind of pause and get our hearts and our minds ready for worship. I had a different call to worship planned and then just this morning I was reading through and, and something jumped out and the Holy Spirit, I guess, opened the, opened the page to me here. We've been talking about walking in the light and so forth. And so I felt like this set of verses would be a better call to worship for us this morning. I'm reading from Psalm 97, verses 10 through 12. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. 
Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you for this beautiful family. We thank you that we have the opportunity to get together this morning and to worship you without persecution. Father, I pray that everything that we sing, say, and do here this morning would be to your honor and to your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll ask you to stand and join with the praise band in our singing of his praises. Good morning, everyone. Let's sing and shout to the north. Men of faith, rise up and sing of the great and glorious King. You are strong when you feel weak, in your brokenness complete. Shout to the north and the south, sing to the east and the west. Jesus is Savior to all. Lord of heaven and earth Rise up women of the truth Stand and sing to broken hearts Who can know the healing power Of our awesome King of love Shout to the north and the south to all, Lord of heaven and earth. We will shout to the north and the south, sing to the east and the west, Jesus is Savior to all, Lord of heaven and earth. We've been through fire, we've been through rain, we've been refined by the power of His name. We've fallen deeper in love with you. You burn the truth on our lips. Shout to the north and the south. Sing to the east and the west. Jesus is Savior to all, Lord of heaven and earth. Yes, we'll shout to the north and the south. Sing to the east and the west, Jesus is Savior to all, Lord of heaven and earth. Rise up church with broken wings, fill this place with songs again, of our God who reigns on high, by His grace again will fly. Shout to the north and the south, sing to the east and the west, Jesus is Savior to all, Lord of heaven and earth. Shout to the north and the to 
Still my soul will sing your praise 
You may be seated. Thank you, praise man. We want to take a moment now to lift up any praises, any prayer requests that we have from this week. Sharon? Oh, we'll get Sharon first. Um, I um, just would like um, to let everybody know that there are sub-papers in their boxes. I forgot when you oh, said okay. was, there was others. But... Uh, Pray for my, uh, my uncle, please, and my Aunt Thelma. I appreciate it. Yep, we'll pray for Ar- Arvel and Thelma. And if you didn't catch it, she's mentioning the Missions Commission, another sub-sale. There's papers out, out on the desk out there. Yes. As Spencer said, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> yes, well, praise the Lord for a beautiful day. Yes, Jeff. I have, uh, if you remember, Amanda was um, asking for prayer for her friend Leroy. Um, sadly, Leroy passed away on Thursday, so prayers for all his family and friends. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, I'd like to ask prayer for old neighbor and babysitter Shirley Hanshu. Um, She's got cancer all throughout her body, and they're not, they're not really giving her a whole lot of time at this point. So prayers for her, for comfort and peace, and then for the family as well. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Back in the back, Joyce. I'm glad to have my daughter and son-in-law here for two weeks, and uh, so far Max is holding his own. Doing well with his treatments. Good. Anyone else? Okay, well then, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Good morning, Heavenly Father. We thank you, first of all, for the gift of a new day. And we thank you for the beauty that we see in it. We thank you for your, your artistic creativity um, shown through the new colors of leaves, the new types of plants that are blooming. We just, we can see that you're a, you're just a creative and artistic God, giving us different seasons, giving us all these different colors and the beauty of sunsets and sunrises. We just thank you and praise you, Lord. We thank you that We have family, 
We have several, several families here that have, have traveled, and um, we just thank you that you brought them here safely. We pray that you'll bless their time together with the families and that you'll bless them with safe travels when it's time to go back home. We also want to lift up some, some requests, Lord, for those in our family who aren't, who aren't doing so well. We know that you're with them, and I pray that all of them will recognize that you're walking through this hard time with them as well. We pray for Arvel, and we pray for Thelma as well. Arvel's, Arvel's the one right now with some trouble breathing. And Father, I pray that you'll, you'll comfort both of them, and I pray that you'll, you'll just continue to make your presence known to them, and I pray that they'll continue to lean on you. We pray for the family of Leroy, and we pray that you'll wrap your comforting arms around them. We also pray for you to provide comfort and peace to Shirley as she has received this shocking news of cancer. It's never easy to hear. And Father, we do thank you that Max is doing well for his cancer with his cancer treatments, and we pray that that when those are done, that he'll, he'll hear good news from the doctor. Father, there's just so many of us who have people in our families who just are depending on others for medical care or just for, for personal care. And so, Father, I pray for all those who are providing that care that you will continue to strengthen them and Continue to strengthen their hearts as they show love every day through their, through their caregiving. Father, we also thank you for your provision. We thank you for jobs. We thank you for income. And we, we thank you and praise you now as we ask you to bless the offering that is collected here today. Father, I pray that you'll You'll bless it and that you'll use it to further your kingdom and to further your church. We pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Would you join, join me now? I ask you to stand and we'll sing hymn number 28.
may be seated. We're going to continue this morning our new series called It's Not Easy Being a Church. We're reading from the book of First John. And today's, today's message is entitled, Stop Talking and Start Chalking. Now, where did, I, where did I come up with that? Well, there's a story, a little story behind it. Um, in my younger, in the days of my youth, um, when I was younger, only a few of you recognize that song. Um, when I was younger, I used to hang around with a friend of mine in a small arcade in Westminster, Maryland. It was called Blazing Flippers. Um, <gasps> the pastor used to go to an arcade. Well, this was when they had video games, okay? They had video games in there. They were, video games were just starting to establish their, themselves in the culture. Um, it was a way for youngsters, for youth, to spend all those quarters they had saved up all week. I used to walk in there with, with just a pocket full of quarters, and the whole goal was to try and make those quarters last. If you reached a certain level on the game, you know, of course, then you get more time on the game and so forth. So the, the better you got with the game, the the longer you could play it, and the, more, the less quarters you, you ended up spending. But anyhow, you go in, and of course it had the, the classics, Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man on the, off the side, and there in the center were the, the new ones, Asteroids, and uh, Joust, and Centipede. I loved Centipede. And these were the, all these brand new video games. Now when I say video games, and I'm looking at the younger ones right now, video games were not handheld controllers on a flat screen TV. Video games, if you remember, were like great big consoles like this lectern here and had the screen here with a whole bunch of buttons and a hood that came up over. So you just, you hunched over and you're playing and you're tapping as fast as you can and you use the controls and so forth. So anyhow, that was, that was video game back in my day. But after you got past the video games, back in the back were the pinball machines the, the, the legacies, you know, that, I mean, that's, it was named Blazing Flippers, so obviously it had been around for a while when, when the, the, the um, pinball machines were there as well. And you go back there, and I like to play a good game of pinball every now and then, and uh, you'd walk by, and of course, if you remember, if you've ever been around a pinball machine, and it's okay to admit it, um, you walk by, they always had something that the pinball machine would say to try and get you to play the game. Well, when I was reading through this text, it reminded me of one pinball machine called 8-Ball Deluxe. 8-Ball Deluxe, when you would walk by or when you would push one of the buttons, it would say, stop talking and start chalking. And the whole idea was, you talk a good game, but let's see if you can back it up with your actions, right? Well, that's exactly what John is telling us and telling his congregation this morning. You know, you're talking a good game, but let's just see, let's just see if your actions back it up. Last week we know that he started this message, he was talking, he was writing the letter to his congregation, but of course his focus was on those people who were pulling, who were leaving the church and then trying to pull more people away from the church. And we know, we know how that works, you know. Churches have been through that. This church has been through that. It's talked, he talked about these people who were challenging his authority as the leader of the church and so forth. So all his attention was, was on these people who had left. Well, today, he kind of brings his attention back and focuses on those 
who are still left, who are there in, in the church remaining. And he, he kind of completes his thoughts. We, the first two verses here are kind of a, a, a segue. They're really, they they kind of finish off last week's thoughts and they sort of start this week's, but they're just sort of stuck in here in, in the middle. But he, 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 he returns back, like I said, returns his attention back to his congregation. And he doesn't address them as some kind of a uh, scolding pastor or a lecturing teacher. He, he addresses them as a loving father. So let's hear what he has to say this morning. Starting 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My dear children, and that's where I say he, he had a lot of things that he was he was saying some very dramatic stuff last week, challenging those people, those opponents, and so forth. And he kind of takes a breath, returns his focus back to his congregation, and he says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And we know that he talked about how there were a group of people who claimed they weren't sinning. He's saying, I'm writing this so that you don't sin, but he knows that you will. And so he says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice or the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. Now, he talks about an advocate. An advocate would be someone who talks in your place, someone who represents you, sort of a defense lawyer feeling here that... Um, Jesus is, is intervening. He's, he's stepping in between you and, and the Father when you have sinned. And we want to make sure we understand this correctly because there are some, some schools of thought who, who see this as, as, as the Father being very... You, you sin, the Father gets very upset. The Father wants to zap you. He wants to snuff you out. And, and Jesus steps in almost like some of these Marvel comics. He steps in, pulls you behind him, and says, no, you can't do that. Well, it's, it's, not, it's not like that. I mean, he's still talking on your behalf. But we talked last week about that perfect relationship between the Father and the Son. And that's still here. Jesus is still talking on your behalf. He's saying, yes. He sinned, but remember what I have done for him, and, and it's like court dismissed. It's just they, they continue on. There's, there's nothing here where the father and the son are at odds, okay? They're still in perfect, perfect fellowship. And I know we spent a lot of time last week talking about that, and I don't want anyone to, to feel like that, that this, this tells us something different. They're very much on the same page. They have always been on the same page. Jesus has always been the mediator between man and, and the Father, but the Father has always been in perfect relationship with the Son. The Father created the world through his Son. The Father reveals himself to the world through his Son. The Father redeems the world through his Son, and the Father will judge the world through his Son. They've never been at odds, and they're still very much in perfect fellowship here. So John starts off by telling his congregation why he's writing the letter, and then he challenges them to back up their claims of allegiance to Jesus. They were talking a good game, but he says, okay, stop talking and start chalking. He hears three claims that are coming from the believers in his church about their relationship with Christ, and as we read through this, you'll hear these three claims, but they're, they're telling him that they know him. They're saying, I know him. I know God. 
I live in him and I am in him. I am in the light. So knowing him, abiding in him, and being in him. They're all very similar ideas. And John says, I hear you, but I just want to make sure. Let's just make sure about this. So he starts off by making an opening statement in verse 3. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. We know that we know. It's no accident that he uses the word know twice in this sentence. Remember how we talked about those people who were promoting Gnosticism. He basically is saying, knowing God isn't proven by our salvation. Knowing God is proven by our heartfelt desire to obey him. He's telling them that salvation isn't through knowledge. That's what the Gnostics um, promoted, that, that knowledge would, would save you. He's not saying that. But now I want to make sure you're hearing him correctly too. He's not saying that salvation is through obedience. He's not saying that works promote the salvation. I got to just tell you a quick little story. One time I was preaching and there was a fellow sitting up here close to the front and he had fallen asleep before I started preaching, mind you, but he fell asleep and all through the sermon until right at the very end, he woke up just before I quoted Paul saying that we need to work out our salvation. Well, he wasn't there the next week and he wasn't there the week after or the week after. He had, he wasn't a regular attender, but he Attended fairly often, enough that we missed him and wondered what, what must be wrong. And Somebody ran into him in the grocery store and, hey, what, anything wrong? We, we've missed you. We haven't seen you in church. Well, I can't attend a church where the pastor says that you need to work for your salvation. <laughs> he didn't hear me right, <laughs> but that's what I want to make sure. I agree with him. I don't want to sit in a church like that either. Um, salvation is through faith alone. We know that. But the evidence of salvation, what John's telling us, is obedience to God's commands. John says you can call yourself a Christian, but we're only going to know for sure by how you live. It's a little bit like picking out mums. What? Last weekend, Vicky and I went, we went to buy some mums for our garden for over here at the, at the parsonage. Now, we ran to Lowe's. Well, of course, Lowe's, you can buy the mums that are already blooming, and they're probably going to die in about a week. Or you can buy the ones that haven't opened yet so that we get the color a little bit later. We get to extend this. But we ran to a nursery to take a look and, and buy these mums, and they had these beautiful green mums. Of course, they're green because they haven't blossomed yet, and so you don't know what color they're going to be. Well, you've got to look at the label, right, on the, on the container. The label says that it's going to be white, or this label says this one's going to be orange, this one's going to be purple, this one's going to be some kind of red, and you'd be amazed at how many different types of purple and yellow. And, but that's what the label says, and Vicky was trying to kind of get some idea if she, if she could see one that had just started to open, maybe peek at it or whatever. It's saying that it's going to be a white mom, but how do we know that? The only way we're going to know that is if we live with that mum and we follow that mum for a while as it lives, as it lives out its life, and eventually it's going to go ahead and, and bloom. And it'll show us whether it's a white mum or not. They might have put the wrong label on it. It, 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 might, it might grow and blossom and all of a sudden it's a purple mum, but it said it's a white mum, right? The only way we're going to know is if we live with it 
and see how it lives out its life. And that's the same way for us people as well. Jesus talked about that. He talked about knowing people by their fruit. Now, he was talking about false prophets at the time, but he says in Matthew, he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They've got a label that says sheep. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. Now, if they don't do anything, you're not going to know whether they're a sheep or a wolf. You'll just, just take them as sheep. But once they start living, once you start living with them, once they start living out their lives, he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And he finishes up again by saying, Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit, once you live with them, whether they're sheep, or wolves in sheep's clothing, whether they're mums, or whether they're brothers and sisters in your, in your congregation. John says, the only way that we're going to know is by how you live. He says, you can call yourself a Christian. You can put that label on yourself. But let's just find out for sure. He says that there are several ways to examine the fruit. He's got some formulas we can use to test how authentic these claims are. And we're going to see these tests and they're listed with each one of the claims. We hear the claim first and then the test. So looking at verse 4, he starts off with the claim. He says, whoever says, I know him, that's the claim, and here's the test, but does not do what he commands, that person is a liar. There's the, the result. He failed the test. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. If you pass the test, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And I'm going to stop there because I actually think the next sentence starts, goes along with verse 6. But in verse 4, he argues that whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep God's commands, well, that person's just a liar. And again, John is targeting that religious heresy called Gnosticism. They promoted enlightenment, knowledge. Know everything and you'll be fine. They argue that the way to salvation wasn't freedom from sin. The way to salvation was freedom from ignorance. And if that's true, well then mundane little things like obedience and morality, well they can just be pushed to the side, right? And that's why John spent so much time arguing against it. Last week when we looked at the opening of his letter, we saw that John spent a lot of time arguing that these people were wrong. He was telling them that it's heresy. And the reason he spent so much time was the fact that he recognized that it was attractive. It was wrong, it was heresy, but it was attractive. It, these people were saying, well, if my body did it, well, then I'm not really sinning. It wasn't really me, right? And the people who were leaving his church were also trying to pull others away using that attractive philosophy. So John says, if you truly know God, you're going to obey his commands. And that method stands the test of time. It, 
It hasn't gone away. It can still be used today because lazy Christianity, sloppy Christianity, it's, it's still a problem. People still put that label on themselves. I'm a Christian just because they go to church. But then they live a worldly life once they walk back out the doors. If you see them on Tuesday, you can rip that Christian label right off of them because they're not, they're not living in a way that represents Christ. They obey the command to love. That's one that everybody seems to be okay with. Don't tell me who I should love or how I should love. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus was talking about agape love. They want to talk about eros love. But they'll obey the command to love, but they'll ignore most of the other ones. So the first test of authentic spiritual life is obedience. The second test that we see deals with living the way Jesus lived. And just finishing the last sentence of verse 5 and then going into verse 6, he says, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. John points out that whoever says, I, I live in him, will better be living the way Jesus did, or else they're not telling the truth either. Now this word for live here, it's a Greek word, meno, and it actually means an indwelling. It's almost, in a, in a negative sense, you would think about a parasite, something that is deep inside, something that plans to stay there and stay there for a long time, deep inside of, of whatever it gets inside of. So that's why many translations will, will have here that, that I abide in him. Abiding is something that sound, has more of a, more of a permanence and, and, and more of a, uh, a sense of duration. I, it means knowing, knowing God is to abide in him deeply and to remain in him deeply. So, just like the case in truly knowing God, you obey his commands. If you're truly abiding, abiding in him, then you'll also obey his commands. We go to verse 7 where, again, he reminds them that he's writing this out of love and concern for them. He says again, dear friends, he says, I'm not writing you a new command but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. I don't know if you caught it or not, but verse 7 he says, I'm not writing you a new command. Verse 8 says, yet I am writing you a new command. That's a little confusing, isn't it? What's What's he doing here to us? Well, I think it's a little bit like buying a used car. That used car has been around for a long time, but when you buy it, it's, it's new to you, right? It, it has been serving a purpose for a while, but now it has new meaning, new purpose to you because you've, you've bought it. The command he's referring to here, of course, is the command to love. The command to love has been around since the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse Verses 4 and 5, Moses reminded the people, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, deeply. 
Then in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, God said, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. Now, that's, that's important later, too. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And, of course, Jesus recites those when he's approached by a teacher of the law. Mark records the, the episode when the, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, nothing, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. I think it's neat that this teacher of the law, that's a good answer. Yeah, it's Jesus. Of course it's a good answer. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, and he quotes Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and he adds, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, and he quotes Leviticus then. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So it's not a new command But in verse 8, John says, yet I'm writing you a new command. There's something new about the command. That old command that was given centuries before, it was still valid in John's day, but now there's just a little something different about it. It was because of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus demonstrated Love. He, he demonstrated self-sacrificing love. And his life was a true example of love. That's why John says that it's truth, the truth of that command. He says it's truth is seen in him. And since we're reminded up in verse 6 that we're supposed to live as Jesus did, and that means we're expected to love as Jesus loved. So he can say... Its truth is seen in him and in you. And the rest of verse 8 is simply but very powerfully a reminder of what John recorded in his gospel. He says here in verse 8, The darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. He has record in his gospel in John Chapter 16, verse 33, he's recording what Jesus told the people around him. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now they, like us, they they saw evil building. They they were so concerned about the evil. They were so concerned about the darkness. And he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. There's an exclamation mark behind that. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's what John is is reminding them here. He's already won. Jesus has already won. The true light is already shining, he says in verse 8. We still have to deal with darkness. We feel like it's building. We feel like it's so much worse than it was, but he's reminding us that it's fading. It's lost. It's fading. It's passing. That's what drove this church, the first century church that we've talked about. It's what provided the hope 
and the joy for them when the church first started meeting. It's what should give us hope and joy today as well. But I'm afraid we've forgotten about that. I'm afraid our joy just comes from being good people and doing good service. The darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. He's already won. So, John has taken us through two tests of authentic spiritual life, and these tests build on each other. If you truly know God and abide in him, then you're going to obey his commands. And to obey means to show love like Christ loved. But now we hit the third test. The ultimate test of obedient love is finding out whether or not you can love those fellow believers that you don't think deserve your love. Oh, that makes us squirm a little bit, doesn't it? He's getting a little bit personal now. And John doesn't mess around with this. He doesn't give us any kind of wiggle room here. Verse 9 says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. And when John says brother or sister, he's talking about fellow believers. He's talking about people attending church with you. Verses 10 and 11 tell us, Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But, verse 11, Anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. These verses hit us hard. Notice that he does not promote any kind of -of middle-of-the-road situation here. You either love your brother or sister, or you don't. You hate them. That person you try to avoid, they sit on one side of the church, so you sit on the other. Or that person somewhere in one of the pews behind you that just bugs the heck out of you, but you smile at them and just try to ignore them. John's saying, hey, if you don't have love for them, then you hate them, and you're walking in darkness. (laughs) And all along, you thought they were the one that was walking in darkness. Love becomes a genuine value only when it's tested, only when we have to reach beyond ourselves, beyond our comfort, and love somebody that we don't really want to love. That's the level of love, that's the type of love that John has in mind here. And it's easy to think that when he's talking about hating a brother or sister, he might be talking about those ones that have left, those ones who are challenging him. But he's not. He's talking about the ones who are remaining, the ones who are in his fellowship, the ones who are in his church. He's reminding them that the world might tell you that you have every right to hate, but he's saying you don't have a license to hate. Hate is a cancer, a cancer of the heart. It's not the occasional outburst of anger. Those things happen. That's an emotion that happens and it's done. Hate is something that sticks around. It just grows and, and gets worse. It's, it's more of an attitude. Hate is an attitude. It's a way that, that you live and it, it just becomes a habit eventually and leads to darkness and to blindness, he says. I want to wrap up 
this morning's message with a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. He said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And to that I say, Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find in it. We thank you that it's truth even when it makes us uncomfortable. Father, I pray that if it has made us uncomfortable, that we'll examine our lives. Help us to find those places where we might not be showing love to our brother or sister and it's causing us to walk in darkness. Father, we need your help to be able to identify those, those places. We want to walk in the light. We want to abide in you deeply. But we need your help, Lord, and so we're, we're asking for it. Help us to walk in the light better this week. Help us to, to show that we're not just labeled as Christians, but that we are living as Christians. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join me in singing our final hymn, hymn number... Dun, dun, dun. Well, you know what the number is. I don't. 457. <laughs> Thank you. So let's sing hymn number 457. <laughs> from here and you walk in the light this week, remember to show love to your brothers and to your sisters. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.